Hey, let's take out our Bibles and find Romans chapter 6 for the last time in this series anyway, through Romans. We're going to finish chapter 6 this morning, and we will, Lord willing, be moving on to Romans 7 next week. We're going to look at verses 14 through 23 specifically, and I'll read those in just a minute. Since this is our last week in the chapter, I think it'd be helpful to make sure we are solidified in our own minds about the main idea, really, of this passage or main ideas before we move to chapter 7. You'll recall, as I've made mention of a number of times, chapter 6 through 8 begin a new section. Whereas chapters 1 through 5 was dealing with that very important doctrine of justification, that is that declaration of God, when you believe in Jesus, he declares you righteous, meaning you're forgiven of all your sins, and you are credited with the righteousness of Christ himself. That's a one-time deal, and it is everlasting. It doesn't need to happen more than once. You do not grow in your justification at all. You do not pursue progress in justification. You would be amiss if you did that. You have gone awry if you're trying to do that. However, what Paul is showing now in chapter 6 is that the progression is from justification to sanctification in the believer's life. The moment you're justified, you begin what we call a process of sanctification. The word simply means holiness, and it shows up twice in this chapter. Both the verses we will read in just a minute. The word means holiness. Everybody who is justified is going to be being sanctified to one degree or another all the way until they are glorified one day. And we just sang about that. When we are ra- our bodies are raised from the dead, united with our souls, and we are completely made like Christ. That's glorification. That's what we'll talk about in chapter 8. Let's go ahead and read beginning in verse 14 through the end of the chapter. Paul says in verse 14, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. 
For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's just pause now and ask God's blessing on this passage. Father, please help us now as we turn our attention to your word preached. I ask for the ability to do that, the gifting, the power, the strength, the wisdom, the guidance as I teach and preach. And I pray that your word would go forth in your purposes for all of us here. Please build up your people now in your truth. Your word is truth. We ask this in the name of Jesus, as always, amen. Now you'll remember in verses one through four, Paul was presenting the fact that we're not to continue in sin, that grace may abound. Because at the end of chapter five, he made that comment that where sin abounds, grace superabounds, which is good news for us, right? But that does not mean, the conclusion we are to draw from that does not mean that we sin more so that grace abounds more. He says in verses one through four that we are to know that we've been united to Christ in his death and burial and resurrection. And that means the benefits and blessings of all of who Christ is and all of what he's done in his death and in his resurrection are given to us, including that new resurrection life. So just as Jesus came out of the tomb on Resurrection Sunday morning, never to die again, having already done with sin, to live now entirely for God in the newness of life, we too with him walk in newness of life. See, when you become a Christian, your life is to change. It takes on a different direction now. It's new. You used to live in things in which, what did he say just earlier? I read it. Of which now you're ashamed. You ever look back on your pre-Jesus days and think, man, I'm ashamed of that. What fruit do I have from that? The reason you're like that is because now you know you're walking in newness of life, right? That's the first four verses. Then what we looked at last week in five, verses 5 through 14. This is the idea that you need to know that you're no longer a slave to sin because of what Jesus has done. Because you're united to him, you're not a slave to sin. You were but you're not anymore. So the conclusion to that then, verses 12 and 13 is, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. You're gonna feel impulses and desires, Paul calls them passions, to sin. Don't let those reign. Don't give in to those. Don't present your, the members of your body to instruments of sin. No, present them to God and to righteousness to live for him. You see, you're walking in that newness of life. And then he ends that in verse 14 by saying this. Sin 
will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. This is the first time now in this chapter that Paul mentions the law. And we're assuming he's referring to the Mosaic law, honing in on those Ten Commandments, moral law of God. And what, remember what he taught in those first five chapters is that the law is not a means to be right with God. It cannot do that. You cannot use the law to say, I'm just going to keep obeying this enough to where God will be happy with me and declare me righteous. That's not the means. You need to be saved by grace and be under grace in what Jesus has done in fulfilling the law perfectly for you, you see. And he makes that statement that we are not under law, but we are under grace. Now, he knows, Paul knows, because he has lots of experience with people as he's preaching about grace and not being under law. And he knows that there are going to be some people that hear him say that. I'm not under law, I'm under grace. And they're going to conclude to that fact that there is no longer law for Christians. In other words, there's no longer what is called sin under law because we're not under the law. And that I can just do whatever I want to do. That I can live in sin now. Because being under the law to this person means I have no relationship to what God has said is right and wrong in the, in the Old Testament. I, there's no commands for me. There is no law for me. Have you ever met a Christian that thinks that way? There's no law for them. They live lawlessly because... They're saying they're under grace and they're not under law. That leads to the question of verse 15. Paul knows that this teaching about the grace of God is different than what they were accustomed to and can draw, people can draw really bad conclusions about it. So in verse 15, he says, what then? What does this mean if we're not under law but under grace? What then are we to sin or continue in sin because we are not under the law but under grace? That's a question. Since we're not under the law, can we sin? I have seen this as a problem in Christian's life in my experience in pastoral ministry. I have seen the misunderstanding of grace. I have seen aversion to law or commands from God that say what's right or wrong and that just the desire or the thought that we can live any way we want as Christians. Which certainly, of course, is not true if we look at Paul's answer in verse 15. By no means... Can we continue in sin? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. 
He couldn't say it any more strongly than that. As a matter of fact, I think the King James has something to this effect. God forbid that we would do this. Like This is not the conclusion that you are to draw by this idea that we're not under law but we're under grace certainly doesn't mean that we're to sin or that there's no more such thing as sin or that there's no more right or wrong. Paul wants to make himself abundantly clear in this issue. The righteous law of God still stands. Now, we're not under it, and we're going to talk more next week in Romans 7 about what that means to not be under the law. So if you just flip over to Romans 7, you see those headings in Romans 7, released from the law, the law in sin, the relationship to that. So we'll talk more about this next week about being under what it means to not be under the law, but it certainly doesn't mean that there's no more law. Like in other words, God has changed his mind or is indifferent now to what is righteous and sin. You see it through this whole passage. He's gonna tell you to present yourself as slaves to righteousness. Well, friends, how do we know what is righteous? Now, we live in a culture where everyone wants to make that decision for themselves, but I'm talking about Christian people of the book. How do we determine what is sin and what is righteousness? Friends, the law of God. He has determined this. We don't get to determine that. You don't. I don't. Social media influencers don't. Bud Light doesn't. God is the righteous one and gives us his righteous law in its stands. Okay? As a matter of fact, John says, 1 John chapter 3, this important point here, everyone who makes a practice of sinning, listen to this, also practices lawlessness. That word is literally no law. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices no law. Sin is no law. That's what it is. So if you wanted to define sin, you would define it like this. Lawlessness or no law. That's what sin is. See. Now you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. Therefore, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. This is John's answer right here to the same question Paul's addressing. Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Sinning is lawlessness. And Christians aren't lawless people. Okay? God did not change his mind in the new covenant as to what is morally righteous and what isn't. The law still applies. Now you are not saved by it. You do not progress as you obey God's righteous moral law. You do not progress in your justification. But friends, in essence, according to Romans chapter 6, the way to progress in our holiness, our practical daily holiness, is the daily 
practical application of God's law into our lives. That's the idea. Now look at verse 16 and the reason for Paul's response. He says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Notice in this answer that although we are not under law, there is still such a thing as sin and righteousness, which is defined by law. Which means to Paul, the law still stands, you see. But also, notice in this verse, verse 16, if you obey sinful desires and that's how you live, you need to know this. That one, you are a slave to sin. Now we're talking about unrepentant, I'm just living in sin. I know what the Bible says. Don't care. This is what I'm doing. I'm following in this course. I'm following after sin. Then you need to know you're a slave to sin. And look where that leads. It leads to death. That's not just physical death, friends. When Paul's thinking of death, he has much broader understanding of death that began in the fall of Adam and Eve than just physically dying one day. This is spiritual death now. We read that last week, Ephesians 2.1. We read that last week. You're dead in your trespasses sins and you're following in this sinful path and it leads all the way to eternal death, eternal destruction. There's a fearfulness in this that a person should have. You're on... Bunyan called the way or the path of destruction. And Jesus said, man, that way is broad. And on that path of destruction, you've got lots of friends coming with you on it, encouraging you along in that broad way of destruction to eternal damnation. It's a fearful thing. And Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads to life. And friends, few there are that find it. You must ask yourself, you must do that right now. Am I on the path to life or am I on the path to destruction. Well, friends, Paul's answering it for you. The verses from John answers that question for you. Are you practicing sin in your life? Are you a slave to sin? This is how you live your life? Then friends, that leads to death. Jesus doesn't keep us hanging here on who's going to be in and out. It's he knows. He tells us, he's warning us about this. The answer, if you find yourself even sitting here this morning, you're thinking, man, my life is all about slavery to sin. It calls me, I obey. I do whatever 
It says, whatever it commands me. If that's you this morning, then look to Jesus Christ right now. Jesus Christ rescues people off of the path of destruction. Anyone who calls upon him, he rescues them right out of it, and he puts them in the path to life, you see. Jesus said this in John chapter 8, verses 31 to 36. He said, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, they heard that, and they got a question about that. They know what he's talking about. He's talking about slavery versus freedom. And here's what they said. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? What are you talking about? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Free from what? Free from slavery to sin. Did you know that Jesus came to save you from your slavery to sin, to actually break those chains so that you are free, friends, not to live more in sin, but to now follow the Son on the path of righteousness that leads to life. You see how silly it is then if we really understand the work of Jesus Christ and the gospel to even ask the question, shall we continue in sin? Can we keep on sinning because we're not under law but under grace? Don't you see? That's why Jesus came, just like John said, to take away sins. Don't you see? This is why Jesus came to set you free, and you'll be free indeed. You need to know that. Remember what we talked about last week? There are gospel truths in your battle against sin every day, those impulses. There are things you got to know, and one of them is this, that the Son sets you free. Jesus himself says to you, you don't have to obey that sin anymore. You don't let the devil or anyone else tell you you got to follow after those sinful passions. I died for that. More than that, I rose for that, for you. Now, you walk now in the newness of life in that area. That's what Jesus means when he says, the Son sets you free. In Romans chapter 6 and in these verses is Paul just taking the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ and kind of expounding them further for the Roman church so that they understand the fullness of the gospel blessings that are theirs in Christ, you see. So that they have a full-orbed understanding of what Jesus has done. And isn't that great that he set you free? Because if you were a slave to sin, where does that slavery to sin lead again? To death. So Jesus sets you free so you're no longer a slave to sin. And now you follow him and where does that lead again? To life, right? For the wages of sin is death. But the grace gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's where we're leading now. So you remember the gospel, God in the gospel through his son has provided us now everything we need to be fully and finally saved in glorification. He's left nothing out, right? Look at verses 17 through 18. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. 
and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So you're no longer a slave to sin, but according to verse 18, are you a slave to something else now? You're a slave now to righteousness. I don't know if you knew that or not, and how you view yourself in your daily life matters. If you view yourself as a slave to sin, you're going to obey sin's call every time. This is why some people have so much trouble defeating addictions in their lives because those addictions make them think they're slaves to the addiction, so every time it comes calling, they give in to it. So you need to know now you're not a slave of sin, but you should view yourself as a slave of righteousness, so every time God, through His Word and by the Spirit, calls you to righteousness... You don't mull it over in your mind whether or not you want to obey that. You say, I'm a slave to righteousness, and you obey the righteousness, right? Now, I know that that kind of terminology makes some people uncomfortable, and the reason it does is because you're thinking, okay, if I'm a slave to righteousness now, that almost sounds like God is forcing me to obey him, And so I've got to do this unwillingly, right? You're thinking to yourself, well, what, am I just some kind of now unwilling slave to obedience to righteousness? But that's not how it works. Did you catch this in verse 17? Look at it again. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient, what? From the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. The teaching of God's word, the teaching of righteousness, the teaching of God's law, the teaching of the commandments of of Jesus Christ and the New Testament letters, you have become obedient to those, but you've done this now from where? From the heart. This is now, by God's grace, something you willingly do. This is why Paul will say in Romans 7, I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. God has done something in me so marvelous. He has changed me in such a way that before that work he did in my heart, I didn't like his law at all. Matter of fact, I wanted to do anything but God's will and law. And now this work is so wonderful that what I want to do is I want to obey his law, even though, as Romans 7 will look at, and he says, I want to, but I haven't figured out how to do it perfectly, but I want to. It's from the heart I've become obedient to God. You know, you'll hear this sometimes from people. One of the things God wants his people to do is gather like we're doing right now and worship him. Matter of fact, he doesn't want them forsaking the assembling of themselves together. And you'll say, I want to obey God and I want to be with his people. I want to worship. And and somebody will say, do you want to go golfing Sunday morning? And you'll say, no, I'm going to church. You have to go to church. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. What do you say? No, I... 
I obey that from my heart. You're mistaken. I don't have to go to church. I want to go to church, you see. There's the difference. And when you hear people talking like that and saying those kinds, you're like, that person has the grace of God in them. God's grace has changed that person now because they're doing all that they're commanded to do. And they look just like John. Remember what John said earlier? We read this. He says, we obey his commandments. And what did he say? And his commandments are not burdensome. These are wonderful commandments that we obey now from our heart, you see. And did you notice he says at the beginning of verse 17, thanks be to God you've become obedient. You know why he says that? Because what Paul understands is that anything good that comes from a person, like their obedience from the heart to God's law and wanting to worship and wanting to serve him, that, all the credit for that goes to God. Matter of fact, literally, in the underlying Greek, it says, but grace to God. It's all of God's grace to you, and therefore all the thanks and all the praise for everything you do that is good and right goes to God himself. He's the one that works this in you. Paul says in Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, For it is God, Christian, who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so whenever you have that inward desire from your heart to obey God, to do something for the Lord, pause and thank him for that. Just pause and say, praise you, God, that you've worked this in my heart. We, I love the song we sing. Um, I can't remember the name of it. I just have the line in here. Uh, one of the lines in here that I love. Blessed are the eyes that see him. Bless the ears that hear his voice. Blessed are the souls that trust in him and in him alone rejoice. His commandments, his commandments, his commandments then become their happy choice. We choose this standard of teaching that has been committed to us from the heart willingly because of this wonderful work that God has done. And then in verses 19 through 23, Paul gets practical and he boils it down for us. And he says this, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Friends, just as you once presented your members, the members of your body now, as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to even more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. It's as simple as that. In the same way you used to live and you'd give yourself over to these sins over and over and it just creates more lawlessness and more sin in your life in the same way but in the opposite direction now. Take the members of your body. 
and present them to God, slaves to God and to his righteousness. Doing what's right, not doing what's wrong. And what does that lead to? Increasing holiness in your life. Verse 19, right at the very end. It leads to sanctification. Verse 22 again, it says, you've become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification as you learn to obey and attend eternal life. That word obedience is so crucial to understanding what discipleship is, the life of a disciple is about. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, teach them now, my disciples, to observe, to obey all that I have commanded you. And friends, as we learn to obey by God's grace and his spirit, more and more, God's righteousness and what he's told us to do and not to do in the scriptures, the more and more we put that into practice. We're just creatures of habit, by the way. You give yourself over to sin over and over again. What does it lead to? More and more sin. But the opposite is true by God's grace. You give yourself over more and more to obedience in those moments those moments now of temptation, more and more obedience. This is what you're learning to do. You're seeing yourself as a willing slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're obeying righteousness. You're giving over to the members of your body in those moments to this righteousness. The more you do that, it leads to more practical holiness. And in the end, what does it lead to? Eternal life. There is almost nothing in the Christian life more assuring that will build more assurance of salvation in your life than that wonderful work of God that he's doing in you of sanctification as you are being set free, have been set free from sin and are learning more and more to obey him. You have that assurance. Because friends, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it is my prayer that every person in this room has that eternal life. Now the clock is dangerous. Look at the clock. 10 minutes to 11. I got another 30 minutes. But I don't have any more notes, so my sermon's over. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Praise you for your grace. Thank you for making us alive in Christ Jesus. We confess to you, God, we must. How often we do not present ourselves as slaves to righteousness. And we fail. We thank you that Jesus did every time, all his life, lived as a servant of yours in righteousness and holiness, perfection in every thought and attitude, perfection in every relationship and conversation, perfection in every temptation. Oh, we thank you for Jesus. Praise him. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for taking all of our wickedness and evil and slavery to sin and unrighteousness and the things of which we're now ashamed and just 
putting it on your son and satisfying your wrath in him. We thank you for raising him from the dead on the third day. We thank you for the gospel message that has gone throughout the lands and throughout the centuries right down to wherever we heard it first and believed. We thank you for this perfect salvation you've provided for us. Help us to live this week as willing, loving slaves of righteousness. We ask it in the name of Jesus, amen.